stories, scripts, and conversations with creators. This is the Brave Maker Podcast. Well, what up, everybody? Happy New Year. This is the first show of 2021. Yeah! <laughs> we are up in here, and my name is Tony Gapastone. I am a writer, director, and actor. I live in Redwood City, California, and I get to be the founder and executive director of Brave Maker, and I'm excited to host this show on a Friday weekly basis. And let me bring over my co-hosts. Hey, what's going on? I'm Christina Jackson coming from Dublin, California. I'm an actor, writer, advocate, and this is fantastic, Tony. It's our first show. <laughs> it's been a, a long year already, has it not? <laughs> We're eight days in. <laughs> oh my goodness. It's, been a lot. it's a lot. How are you feeling so far in day eight of 2021 as a United States citizen? <laughs> In day eight, I've just been so wonderfully motivated to dive even deeper into my favorite spiritual books. That's how I'll put it. So I have immersed myself a lot of meditation. Don't forget to do that every day. You know, just a lot of self-care uh, to kind of counterbalance more stressful things that are going on. And so far, so good, you know? So good. Awesome. Well, every week when we do our show, we start out the first few minutes by bantering back and forth with this one question. And we do it not just for us, but for you, our listeners and watchers. Uh, if you're watching live, welcome. Say hi. Drop a little comment in there. If you're listening on the podcast, we're grateful. But we always ask, how have you braved your own way this week? We ask this because we believe we're going to go after our dreams, our creative goals. It just takes one little step at a time. So one thing, a week. And so I'll start by saying I braved my way this week by uh, writing a new feature, which I talked about at the very end of December 2020. It's called Last Chance Charlene. And this week, I'm actually going to pull my camera up so maybe you could see. Hold on a second. I color-coded, look at this, all the way across. You see that? That whiteboard? Oh my gosh. Okay. I color-coded. <laughs> I color-coded all of my scenes, okay? So I'm mapping out the whole script and the feature by, by scenes, trying to keep them limited amounts so we can do it on a very small budget. And my goal is, hear this, hear this, Brave Makers, by May 2021. We're shooting a micro-budget feature film by then. So that's how I braved my way. How'd you brave yours, Christina? That is amazing. It's so inspiring. I am uh, rereading my favorite spiritual books and discovering new spiritual teachers. My favorite video right now is by a teacher called, uh, his name is Suguru. Suguru, I hope I'm saying that right. And he has a video on YouTube, Five Tips for a Joyful and Successful 2021. It's a really beautiful video. You can check it out on YouTube. And that's how I have been braving my way into the new year. Yes, you are. Send me that link and I'll put it in our show notes for the podcast and as well, I'll drop it in the comments here. Normally we have, uh, oh, you did? Okay, cool. Normally we have Alex who joins us uh, every week, but we're doing double features today. So I don't even know if she's on to do the comments. Yeah. So she is awesome. I, Alex, if not, we'll see you later. We have two live shows today, but our first guest, this is cool. We, we did two today and we normally are doing ours at 4 p.m. Pacific time, 7 p.m. Eastern standard, but we're actually in, I don't even know what it is. What is the, the time zone in Paris, France? I don't know what it is, but we're going <laughs> to, we're going to find out because we have a filmmaker, a writer, director named Christopher Morrison. He has uh, 150 films under his belt, theatrical productions, video games, all these uh, immersive entertainment experiences. He's got a feature mm -hmm. film called The Bellwether, which we're going to talk about today. But my 
real interest is to talk to him about a VR project he's working on or worked on called the Werewolf Experience. So welcome to the show, Christopher Morrison. Welcome, hey guys! Thank, hey. thank you so much for having me. And it's CET, Central European Time, is what you call it, C -E -T, my friend. CET, which is eleven p.m. CET. Eleven p.m. Yeah, eleven p.m. It's a, it's 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 definitely dock out. Um, over here. Well, for thanks sure. for letting Brave Maker be global and joining us. So Christopher and I met the Pleasure. beauty of pandemic. We met in a virtual, a digital experience. We met in a room or a, a space just like this with the American film market. I went to the American film market for the first time via my computer. It was awesome. Uh, AFM is a annual event where producers, distributors, filmmakers come together to pitch and share and learn. And it was fantastic. And Christopher and I kept crossing paths multiple times <laughs> and kept hearing about his work. And so we, I said, hey, come on the show. So Christopher, first question, how did you get started yep. in this film industry? You've got 150 different oh, projects under your belt. Let's hear a little backstory. For sure. Um, Wow. Uh, and it starts uh, with like a lot of people having the delusion that you're an actor. Um, I went to, <laughs> I went to university. Um, I went to uh, Boston university, started in their BFA program as an actor, uh, very quickly figured out that wasn't, that wasn't the right fit and segued inside the conservatory into a program called ITS, the independent theater studies program, which was a design your own major, uh, curriculum inside, um, that acting studio in Boston, inside Boston university. So it's like a program nestled inside a program. And it was just pure independent study. And I put together a uh, move for the stage curriculum for myself um, and spit myself out as a bit of a, a movement based uh, fight choreographer, director um, and performer. Um, all of that uh, then uh, jumped in and did a was a co-founder of a small theater company in a literal pizza parlor basement in Berkeley, California in 1996 called Impact Theater that lasted 20 seasons while I was also still doing um, a lot of movement-based stuff. And that, that's sort of my career in that world, in the live world. Peaked uh, when I went on tour with Cirque du Soleil in 2005 as a movement-based performer for them. Because I, even before all of that, I'm a, I've studied, I'm a martial artist and I've studied seven different forms of three different cultures. And so I went on tour as a sort of martial arts-based performer for them. After that was when, or a little before that, I was lucky enough to be in the San Francisco Bay Area in the early 2000s when the digital revolution was really starting in filmmaking. And so got into like making DV tape features and all of that kind of crazy stuff for zero cash, um, which also was my kind of specialty in the theater world, low budget to, to mid budget theater as well, even though I would occasionally level up to, you know, national level companies and, and things like Cirque du Soleil. But um, that was my bailiwick. And so I just transferred all that knowledge over to low budget filmmaking and, and it took off and really enjoyed it. Ended up in LA for seven or eight or nine years um, and really just transitioned into writing and directing for film, always being interested in video games and immersive stuff. There was a lot of them. It turns out my very, you know, we didn't call it this back in, in 1989. My very first paid acting gig was was basically six hours of what we call crowd animation um, for the Maryland Renaissance Festival. But they uh, put some serious cash in my pockets. And then eventually um, I just basically called myself an indie content creator for film, TV, VR, video games, and theater. Um, and that eventually led to Reality Plus, um, which is sort of my production company. Um, when, when I say company, that's a, I should put that in air quotes. You're looking at it um, uh, as well as my, <laughs> my lovely wife. Um, but there you go. And uh, yeah, just I'm always bouncing around. I call myself a shiny object monkey. Something interests me. I, I've been very lucky to have a career where I can go running, chasing after the thing, um, whether that's by a project or because 
I really like another artist and they asked me to work on their thing. And um, yeah, just been very lucky and uh, to have put, put a, put a career together that looks like that. Um, yeah. That's so amazing. So let's back up a little bit, Christopher. I'd love to know a little bit about how you were raised and how was it uniquely, uh, how did it mm. uniquely create this environment that you're now where you're thriving as a creator? So where are you from and how did you end up now you're in Paris? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry you guys are asking the top there, but I'm trying to give you the very, really quick answer so we don't waste 90,000 hours. Uh, the answer is I was born in Tennessee. Um, uh, my okay. father's uh, family is from down there, um, just outside of, in just outside of Nashville, um, and lived there till I was about eight. And then we uh, moved to just that's my where my mother's family is sort of immigrated to because my mother's actually first generation Italian American, um, which was and they settled just outside of Washington, D.C. My father, when I was born, went back went to night law school to switch from being a civil engineer for the state of Tennessee to being a contract construction lawyer. So he did night law school while he was, uh, while he was still working 40 hours a week plus for the state of Tennessee. And we moved to DC, which is not a bad place to be when you're a lawyer. Um, and then we sort of went from lower middle class, uh, sorry, lower, you know, really middle, lower class to you know, very lucky that uh, my mom was also able to go back to work at that point and really raised us up to sort of middle, middle class to upper middle class upbringing by the time I was a, I was a teenager. Um, and I was very lucky to go to a high school that had a Shakespearean scholar on staff. No joke. She's a, she was a wow. Shakespearean scholar and a, um, and a Japanese theater expert as well. So actually uh, behind me, I still have those two, two shelves. They're all Shakespeare. Um, it's my first love. Um, and that's all due to Dr. Were you Lee ever Stato. in a Shakespeare play? Did you ever act in one? Uh, um, with that 150, that 150 number that you're talking about, I'd say at least probably 25% of them are. That's in, amazing. In That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I was in two. I was in Romeo and Juliet and Henry the nice. Fourth Part One. I love Shakespeare as well. Classic. Um, I'd spin my camera around to show you the Henry Four poster I have on my wall right across here, but won't make anybody sick. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, Shakespeare is my first love for sure. Um, and it, um, but uh, yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, my parents were not artists at all. They were just, uh, forgiving and very, <laughs> very patient. So I am very lucky. Uh, and I have always had a network behind me, which is good. Uh, can't say that they were, um, uh, you know, really, you know, understood exactly what I was doing, but I definitely had all the kind of support that I needed. Um, and I'm very lucky to say that. Um, and, and that, you know, we lost my, I lost my father in 2001. But even up until that last point, I was literally go about to go on stage when I got the call that he was he had his last his last diagnosis and his call his his message to me at that point was go go on you know do do the show and uh, get out here when you're done you know um, so just very 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 lucky to have that kind of support um, and uh, cool. yeah yeah. Absolutely. I think that it uh, that 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 seems to be rare. People who don't come from uh, an artistic or creative background to be able to have that. So, I am yeah. I love hearing that. I have uh, yeah. parents who were not in the arts whatsoever either. Very blue collar. Worked in the grocery business. But I remember my dad rehearsing while he drove me to my plays, and my mom who you know rooted me on, and just like that kind yeah. of like memory. I just I love. My mom made my first. Uh, costume out of her robe in the fourth grade. I'll never forget. That. Unreal. I yeah, love it. The so way to go to parents who 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 support their kids. Yeah. That's yeah. Beautiful. And then really, Christina, the other people is just I was. I've also been very lucky. And well, after after having Doctor Vixilio as a mentor, an early mentor, it was very clear that's what I needed. 
I need mentors in my life. So I've been lucky to really count, have three very specific professional mentors. Dr. Lee Vixilio started me off in theater at Trend, and I transitioned in BU, uh, a gentleman by the name of Robert Walsh, who taught me really what we, what we call stage combat and, and really that movement-based theater sensibility and really encouraged me. He was also a director and really encouraged me to direct because he saw that in me. And then uh, my I'm still my American producing partner, who is my brother in arms in all this film, Yuri Cole, um, pulled me into uh, pulled me into film and video um, back then. And like I said, in the early 2000s and uh, those those three, you know, uh, along with my, you know, my family network. That's it. That's 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 why I'm here for sure. No doubt. Beautiful. Well, let's let's hear. OK, so you're in Paris, France now. Why? Why yes. Paris, France? Um, speaking of um, speaking of the other end of the production company, um, the, the the other the other person in the production company. So my wife is uh, her name is Juana Mate, and she's um, the head of VR for Procter and Gamble, and she's worked for them for the last fifteen years. We met each other um, six seven years ago. Uh, actually, I'm lucky also enough to have a parallel career um, as a teaching artist as well. I've taught the whole entire time because of Dr. Lee Vixilio, who I met in school. And, I, and because of my martial arts background where you are expected to train, you know, if you're hanging around for a year or two, at some point they point at the new people and they say, you know, go work with them. And Dr. Vic had the exact same attitude, you know, you were around, you were hanging around her for two years. She pointed at new people and she was like, go talk to them and train them up. Um, so I've been very lucky. I've been very lucky to have that. And so I was teaching um, uh, how to make a, how to make a, how to make a short film on your phone um, for adults uh, at uh, the Berkeley Repertory School of Theater. Uh, a while ago, and Juana walked into my class, and uh, again, adults, people, adults, adults, uh, class for adults, and uh, yeah, it was, we hit it off from there, and she was living in, she was working out of Brussels, Belgium, um, and when the time for our relationship came to get serious, I was living in Manhattan at the time, and she was like, well, you can either, I can, we can either, she can either come to the United States, and we'd have to move to Cincinnati, which is where Procter & Gamble is centered, or I could move to Brussels. Um, shock, surprise, I packed my stuff and came to Europe. Um, and then we were in Brussels for five years and then uh, we moved here to Paris uh, for her job as well. Again, um, she got transferred to Paris and so here I sit. No, I mean, no complaints about living in Paris, I assume. Beautiful, wow. It's about Brussels either. Well, let's talk about Reality Plus and we, yeah two different projects we want you to chat about. You want to chat about The Bellwether? Let's hear a little bit about that because that looks very intriguing. Feature film. Yeah. Like a year and a half ago. Yeah. Okay, let's hear about it. Um, so The Bellwether, we are very proud to say, is the first solo character film that features a woman, meaning there's only one on-screen character. Um, uh, movies that some people might have heard of like that are Buried or Locke in the more recent past. Um, so we are the first solo character film that features a woman. It stars the wonderful Alex Reed. Um, when you are in low budget film land for as long as I've been, uh, you burn through like what's going to be your first, you know, low budget script, and 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 how, frankly, how much how how do you write a script that you know you can shoot for? You know, when I was living in the states, at least like a credit card movie. Right? How can I do this with you know the credit the that credit I have? Card movie. And, Oh, sure. Um, and uh, I went through a couple of cycles of scripts. And when I actually left Manhattan and moved to Brussels, I had one that I was ready to pull a trigger on that had five characters in it. 
but when I got to Brussels, um, it was just too American and we could go into that some other time. Um, it just didn't work out. I actually shot some test footage for that and it didn't work. So I sat back down to really figure out how to do this. I came up with, no, let's do it. One character, only one on-screen character. And let's figure out how it goes. And one of the conceits in that uh, movie is that Alex Reed, the main character, Joanne, uh, is, ca is trapped in this church uh, by an acknowledged conspiracy that, uh, that takes outspoken women uh, and breaks them in order to keep us all and then puts them back into society to keep us all docile. Obviously, this is a very strongly feminist film. I sat down to make a very strong statement about that. Um, and her personality, she actually has what we call shell personalities. So she gets to play four different versions of the same character, as you can sort of see here in the trailer a little bit. Um, different versions of the, of the character come out and she gets to have conversations with herself, along with the only other character in the film is a television screen um, that, she, uh, that this operator is working uh, to sort of psychologically torture her. Uh, I, I hate to use that word because we are not a torture porn by any stretch of the imagination. We are an elevated thriller. Um, but yeah, that's what it's about. Um, and uh, yeah, we're super proud of it. We're very, we're very pleased that it's out in the world. So it looks incredible. It does not look like there were any financial restraints. What was the most challenging part of pulling off some of that? Could you have, I'm always curious how directors do that when you have a single actor and they're both in the shot at the same time, two different characters. Can you pull that off? Can you share that with us? Sure. Um, number one in doing that, get yourself a good VFX soup, uh, supervisor. We had a great one. Um, and uh, in Sammy Hermond, um, who was on set with us to make sure we were pulling that off well. It's actually a really, believe it or not, that's a very, it's a relatively simple, what we call a split screen. You just lock your camera off. You have one actor on one side of the frame and you have the other, and, and you have that actor pop off that, that shot. Make sure your camera is nice and locked, change their looking costume, have them stand on the other side of the frame, pop it off, and then you just merge it in uh, in post. And it's not a, it's a, basically it's a button press these days in After Effects. So it's actually not a complicated thing. It looks like a million bucks, of course. Um, yeah. uh, and I'm not telling Teddy tales out of school. I hope some VFX people aren't about to yell at me, but um, it's really not too complicated to do. Obviously it got complicated when we had four people in the, when we had four we do have a shot where all four of them are there. Um, and actually, we only have three because there's a double. Uh, and that's my wife. One played the double for, uh, jo oh, wow. for Joanne, actually. <laughs> the executive produced the film and was on set the whole time solving problems. And the other, and the other thing was she kind of she was Alex's size as well. Um, and, uh, yeah, so she pulled off. She doubled her as well for a good portion of the shoot when we needed her. So a lot of our audience are filmmakers, screenwriters, people who want to be making their own projects as well. So I always sure. loved hearing directors and filmmakers talk about the process. What did you learn? What would you do differently? How wow, could we yeah. make something on a low budget and anything else you want to share tips and tricks and ideas and behind the scenes? Yeah, man. I mean, number one, write for your budget. Learn what that means if you can. And oh, the best the best way to learn that, of course, is to get on a set that doesn't that hasn't done that. Um, hopefully, that's not yours. Really get on sets that really get on sets that uh, and look at what they're not just what they're doing right. Look at what they're doing wrong. And I'm not obviously saying go go look for bad sets to work on, but look and see what breaks down when on a set when you are in a supporting position on a set. And that's the other thing. The other thing is just get on sets, of course. Um, and then learn how to sit down and write and craft a script that you can accomplish for your budget range and go in and know what that is. And fine, if you want to write a first draft where you're shooting the moon, but at some point reality is going to smack you in the freaking face and just accept that. Right. And you have to use, 
your disadvantages to your advantage and you have to, and that is a skill that you develop um again i'm just lucky that lucky uh i've been in i've been scrapping in low budget theater film everything my entire life so that's that's kind of now officially really ingrained in me so when i switched to film it was just the first thing that that i that i knew and again even then even saying that it took me three scripts to get to this to get to the bellwether script um, and really make sure it was it was doable for what we had. Also, don't forget to just look around and see what your positives are. Right. The other thing is, we shot that we shot that in uh, we shot the bellwether in a 13th century, and that's not a joke. That 13th century chapel. That means that chapel is 700 years old, my friends. And as we like to say, we had 700 years of free art direction on that movie. Right. So you've got to look around and find out what your you know what do you have to work with and make it work inside your script. What I do different is, is frankly, um, you know, it was, it's, it's an, it was an intense process. Um, and, uh, just, I would try to communicate even more. The main thing was, and I'm not going to, I'm perfectly happy discussing this. I had a nervous breakdown after I finished because actually the laptop I'm talking to you on, I put, I did all of posts on the laptop that we're talking to you right now. I'm talking to you right now on, I just burned myself out very intensely. Um, you you directed it, you edited it. I, I did edit it. I did have an editor, but she was only on for two weeks. She's a professional editor, brilliant editor, brilliant woman. Please, everybody go hire Stephanie Seibold, Seibold, uh, Seibold excuse me. Um, she's amazing. Two weeks, she got us, she got us three different edits. Um, and I, you know, so I, there was some work to be done there. Um, but definitely, yeah, I mean, I had my hands in the edit, but it's, it's Stephanie's movie as an editor, for sure. I don't take any credit for that. Um, it's just a lot of, still got a lot of futzing around. And, and we had 300 and the other things. <laughs> The other thing is don't write a low-budget script that has 330 special effects shots in it. Um, the genius move that I did was have the other character be a television screen. Um, so uh, every time you see the screen, it's a special effects shot technically. Um, yeah. So um, we had to do that um, So as well. But again, yeah, just you have to, you know, I asked one of these people that uh, in theater and in film, I just want to, touch everything. I want to have done everybody's job so that I don't ever ask someone to do something that I don't have any mm. idea. If that makes sense a little bit, you know what I mean? That's um, I'm happy. Not, yeah. I'm not an expert in everything by any, I'm not an expert in fucking anything really to be, sorry. I didn't ask you like square. Uh, I, to swear I, I apologize. Um, yeah. I'm not an expert in just about anything, but I, I've touched almost everything. So, and then this was the first full post-production process that I could really sit in the middle of. And so I made that decision. It was a good decision and it was a bad decision. I just did not do enough self-care. Chris, <laughs> you're talking about self-care. I yeah. failed miserably. I failed myself miserably in that process and paid the price. Um, uh, again, I'm not, I'm not too unhappy because I learned a lot from that as well. Um, so main thing is, you know, when you're doing the, doing the thing yourself, you gotta, you gotta pace yourself. You gotta really take check in with yourself. Trust, also trust the people who, who love you the most. Who are like, are you okay? <laughs> Instead of being like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. I just gotta finish these five shots. It's all good. Um, and they know when you're lying. Um, they know when you're when you're losing probably before you do. Um, so Christopher, if I hear you correctly, are you saying part of the self-care process is to lean on people more and not do it all? I mean, even though it's good to do it all, know everyone's job, but it seems like doing all that had a profound uh, impact on you. Uh, would you do, 
would you do differently as like in your in your scheduling and the before and the after? Was it the time lapse? Like too much, too little? What other practical things could you share with us that you learned for next time? Hundred percent. The easiest thing that I crystallized this down to was. I'm going into post without a post-production supervisor ever again. Even if I pay them, you know, even if I have to beg them, if I have to pay them, I'll, I mean, I always pay people at least 50 bucks, you know, like whatever I, there will be a gesture of money, um, yeah. but whatever they need, clean their car, watch their kids, whatever. Uh, never, ever again. Will I, will I go into post-production without a post-production supervisor, like on my hip, checking me out, making sure everything's groovy and good and on task. And, uh, and then I'm not lit literally losing my mind. Um, so, uh, and that's, and that's something, even if, and I know it's hard for low budget people. I know it sounds like my solution is, is, is like, you know, spend more money. That's not what I'm saying. My, I'm saying reach into your network. And even if you can't find a seasoned post soup, find someone who can check in with you about the process. Just find someone who's an excellent organizer, you know, someone who is an executive assistant for their day job, whose job is to keep other people on track and who really loves that, just to bring them into your circle and make sure they're part of the team, you know, um, particularly in post. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that's what I'm saying. Yeah, definitely. Can we dive in a little deeper? What is the role of the post-production supervisor? What makes them so critical to your success? Yeah, uh, I wish I, you know, I wish I knew. <laughs> um, the way I, the way I, the way I see the job, because I haven't, I've, I've, I've not intersected with them too much. I've associate produced probably four or five other pieces, um, and uh, most of that is on set and early pre-production stuff, because that tends to be where I'm a specialist. Which is also why I was so kind of absolutely determined to handle all the posts on the bellwether, at least, but again, at least run everything through this laptop. Um, and really what they do is it's like having a line producer on set. If you guys aren't familiar with that, if people aren't familiar with that term um, or even just like uh, let's, let's get out of line producer. Let's just say like a UPM, a unit production manager, someone who's there, who is responsible for the management of the set. Right. And not just the money, but just how things are flowing um, and not on a moment to moment basis, like first AD, but on a, on a backed out 30,000 foot kind of level. And a post-production soup is doing the same thing, but for post, because you got to remember, uh, that's what I fell down on is on set, you can kind of hold it in your hands. There's camera, there's sound, you know, even if you want to worry about food, there's food, um, you know, if you got a, and especially if you have a small set, maybe there's an art department, there probably isn't, but there's art and you can, and then you have, hopefully you have a script supervisor to help you wrangle all of that, but you can kind of, you turn your head and you can see every department. Do you know what I mean? Once you get into post, that stuff becomes stuff on a whiteboard, right? Sound, mm -hmm. audio, dialogue mix, sound design, music, editing, special effects, uh, audio special effects, you know, all of that stuff becomes sort of invisible and really just this crazy stew that it's hard to yeah. sort of, and I'm a visual guy, I, I need visuals. Um, and, you know, to that end, I bought a giant whiteboard and I had it all mapped out, but even then, things just get a little bit more diffuse. It's a little bit more in the concept realm. So post-production soup is supposed to keep all that in their head, keep it all clear and to help you stay on track. Um, yeah. Got it. That's good. What was the timeline? How long did you shoot? How many days? <laughs> um, we, we had, we had blocked out 16 days. Alex Reed is such a beast. That was a, basically it was a one woman show, 65 pages. Um, and we knocked it out. She knocked it out in 14 days. 
Wow, amazing! Two we, weeks. We wrapped. We wrapped two days early. I mean, uh, it's just unheard of in a in a in a in a in a, in a no budget film. We wrapped two days early just because she's that freaking good. Because we just we popped and we, it was it was one take, two takes, three takes max, and we were yeah. out. Wow! Um, and uh, she's she's absolutely thank you. And it's, it's you know I like you know we Alex and I work together, but it was you know when they say casting is ninety percent of it, it's no joke, uh, especially in this kind of situation. Um, and it was up to it was totally up to her. Uh, it was totally down to her. We wrapped two days early, so fourteen days That's on great. set. Yeah. Absolutely, and then, uh, we were lucky since we were an indie film. We didn't have we didn't have any uh, a date breathing down my neck. So we I spent probably 13, 14 months in post. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And so you're self distributing. It looks like yeah. You're you got it Ooh. up on um, or do you have a distributor? We have a we have a we have a sort of a constellation of distributors. Um, what we've got is in North America. We work with uh, Giant Interactive, um, which is basically. It's a very selective aggregator uh, run by a, a former Sony exec um, uh, by the name of Nick Sawa, which I a thousand percent recommend this company. They are great if you can, you know, make the cut uh, because they do. They are selective. Um, they only take ten percent, and they are very honest. They've been some of the best reporting uh, uh, I've great. been involved in nine to ten feature films that have been released, and you know, we all know the reporting game that happened there. And if you don't good for you. Um, <laughs> don't worry about it. They're super, they're super great. Um, world, the rest of the world outside of North America, we're with a company called Cardinal XD. Um, we are, uh, um, <laughs> we are in our best, our best market is Vietnam. We have over 50,000 views in Vietnam. Um, congratulations oh. us. Um, uh, yeah, that to the tune of all of 500 bucks, but you know, I'll take the 500 bucks. Um, thank you very much. So we're big in Vietnam. Uh, and then we are working with a company called Big because we also held on. We held on to the DVD rights because Yuri and I are from the nineties, um, uh, just in case. And we actually ended up just um, signing with the company um, Big Pieces. Uh, Big Pieces is a distributor, and we're working with MVP and we'll, MVD, excuse me. And we're actually doing a physical DVD release to the center of the oh, United yeah. States, where there's still DVDs being sold. Hey. And we, yeah, man, we drop in March. We drop on that in March. I'm actually. I'm back to editing on this computer. I'm editing uh, the interviews. We had these wonderful interviews done by a um, a theater and a and a and a a, 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 a sexual studies um, PhD um, by the name of Dr. Melissa Hillman, who uh, did some interviews for us for some back back. Uh, Great. Not backstory. What do you call it? BTS for some BTS? So I'm editing those interviews now to go on the DVD, which will drop in March. Um, so. Let me encourage you all to uh, go to Christopher's website, realityplus.org. You can see that you can watch The Bellwether on Apple TV, Google Play, mm -hmm. Amazon, Voodoo. Support indie film. Support this, mm -hmm. this film made in two weeks. And let's let's spread the word. And if you have questions about distribution, because he alluded to distribution is a wild game for filmmakers. And often, more often yes. than not... <laughs> Filmmakers are screwed in the process because distribution is really not in favor of the filmmaker. So uh, I just entering into my first distribution relationship right now and I'm learning so much, but it is a tough game to enter. So please tweet at Christopher at reality underscore plus underscore. But we have a few minutes remaining. I want to chat about the werewolf experience. So yeah. tell us about that. Sure. Yeah, man. Uh, I am. Uh, I am a self-proclaimed uh, VR evangelist. We, like I said, my wife Yuana Mate is the head of VR for Procter and Gamble, so we're a VR household. Um, and I've been very excited to transition into this. It's a new. Me it's a new media, and that is not a 
it's not an exaggeration. This is the birth of television. It's the birth of radio, whatever you want to say. It's a new way to tell stories. And it's just so very exciting to do. And in fact, right now, I'm also working on a digital theater experience that's going to incorporate um, uh, VR and theater and live theater as well. So there's a lot going on. So the werewolf experience is something I've been flogging for the last five years. Um, it was an idea I had right when I got to Belgium and it takes a while to get these, these, these things off the ground. But um, so it's a VR, it's what we call a cinematic branching narrative VR experience. So it's all CGI and the user gets to be a werewolf. And in the immersive piece is that in order to trigger the branches in the story, you have to use your own voice to howl like a werewolf to trigger the new branches in the story. We got three different endings um, and it's a five to seven minute cinematic all CGI experience. Um, so we're very proud to say that we're partnered with a company called Staka, which is actually underneath a company called The Fridge in Belgium. Um, we are completely funded uh, through Belgian, um, through the Belgian government, through Belgian government. Um, uh, <laughs> hard to describe the Belgian government. Uh, if you know anything about Belgium, it's actually not a country. It's an agreement between three different regions that th speak three different languages that sort of agree to have a federal government. And that means that you can go to each region for, for arts funding. Um, and we've been very lucky to, um, we've been very lucky to get funding from the Flemish government and we're very lucky to get funding from the Wallonian government, which is the French speaking part, the Francophone part of Belgium as well. Um, and we just locked our last funds just, uh, uh, just before Christmas. So we've been in pre-production. Uh, thank you so much. We've been in pre-production for a while and we're headed into uh, production, uh, hopefully at the end of this month, beginning of February and uh, take, yeah, keep, keep an eye out for it. And please do get in touch. We'll get you on a, some kind of list and we'll let you know when the werewolf experience drops. We're, super yeah. excited about it that is really cool is i got wild. nicole nicole is watching live and she's saying love the concept art on the website i know nicole i know loves <laughs> horror and thriller stuff so she's a, a fan true and true so if she says that that's great please please awesome. go and support christopher's work and find him at realityplus.org and mm -hmm. follow him along on twitter i love this i for some reason i'm very fascinated with werewolves too so i'm excited to see this oh, and yeah. uh congrats on all the creativity and all the all the and work get, thanks man you get to be a werewolf that's the whole yeah, point you know? that, was, that was actually part of the, yeah. that was always uh, when i was originally pitching it for um for funding and stuff one of the first things was like you don't want to be a zombie it's it's boring. You don't want to be a vampire. Who wants to? Who wants to drink blood? It's all salty and gross. You want to be a werewolf? Of course you do, right? What I mean, God, silver bullet. I tear people apart, yeah. baby. <laughs> yeah, man. That's great. All right. Well, you ready? Uh, uh, the way we, we the way we always end our shows is by doing our brave faves. So let's do it. Brave faves. TV shows, films, books, songs, technology, clothing, podcast, food, and more. These are a few of our favorite people, places, and things. Brave faves. Christina, Christina, what you got? I have Lorax. Just finished watching it for like the third time last night. Uh, I have a fargo in the house, of course. I'm watching all the Disney movies. And uh, the Lorax is, I actually, I think the Lorax was on a Netflix. But anyway, it's a fantastic movie. Really uh, relevant to what we're going through now here. And mm. actually not just America, all over the world. You know, it talks about greed and community and uh being brave and going up against the goliath of the world and so i really appreciate this movie there's a fantastic quote at the end i probably can't remember it exactly uh but something about if you want the world to change like that'd be you like if you're waiting for anything to happen 
you just look in the mirror like it's up to you and we're huge fans of be your own hero so that's what this movie is about and that kid right there is gonna find a way to be his own hero and it's a fantastic journey and for the family can't go wrong with some good animation as an as an adult always get your heart i love that all right cool cool what do you got what do you want to fave christopher uh, yeah, sort of a book and the audiobook. Um, lucky enough to be uh, getting through this, How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram X. Kendi. I'm always trying to be a better human and, and listen to everybody's story and listen to other people's stories and, and try to understand how to be a, a better uh, advocate, trying to move past being, trying to move through being an ally all the way to being an advocate and a co-conspirator. Um, and this is a freaking you know, it's a, it's a primer, um, on all, all so many things. Um, and I really I can't recommend, uh, the audiobook version as well. I do a thing that I call double fisting where sometimes I'll read a book and listen to it at the same time, and yeah, just that. be able to go back through and, and then really, really kind of grok it and really get it. So super awesome. Yeah. How, how to be an anti-racist, uh, fantastic stuff. That's cool. Yeah. I, yeah. I love that book too. We, Christina and I are huge fans of love Ibram it. Kennedy. Maybe we'll get him on the show someday. That would be awesome. Oh that would be bad. If anybody would be has awesome any connections, man. let us know. Yeah. Well, yeah. my, my brave fave for the week is this ridiculously expensive <laughs> mug. <laughs> it is, uh, it was great. one of my, it was like my only Christmas present from my wife and it's perfect. It is a coffee mug, if you know me, I love coffee. I drink lots of coffee. But the cool thing about this is you use your phone to keep it at the temperature that you want. So it's Bluetooth. I, you, you char it. I charge huh? it every night. It's right next to my coffee. By the way, none of us are getting paid for endorsing these things. Yeah, this is just our own personal <laughs> endorsements. I, I put the charger right next to my, my coffee. I set the coffee to go off you know, automatically in the morning. I come, my coffee mug is all charged. I pour it in and then my phone keeps it at 145 degrees the whole time from the first sip to the last sip. And I can't tell you how great this is because who likes to drink stale coffee when it's halfway done, right? So I, I hugely fave this but it's 130 something dollars so get, get get a sugar mama or sugar daddy uh, or just tre treat yourself marry, marry the head of vr from procter and gamble people i can't recommend it there you enough. go there you go there it's you called go. it's called ember we'll have all these links in the show notes as well as on our instagram page so those are our brave faves for the week don't go away christopher but uh you all know that we are a nonprofit organization and so all of your support through the year especially 2020 has been super helpful to us we were able to uh, make our budget we had a six thousand dollar matching campaign at the end of december and those of you who gave end of year giving we're just i was so grateful to receive those checks and the uh, paypals and the give livelies you know you can go right to your phone and donate at any time just text the word brave maker to four four three two one and right now we're currently trying to upgrade our website because we're no longer doing our in-person film screenings that's how we started as a film festival and we're trying to host film screenings online and we actually need to create our own portal through brave maker so we're trying to raise three thousand dollars in order to do that so if you're in the giving mood and feeling generous just text the word brave maker to four four three two one or go to bravemaker.com slash donate to donate at any time it's all tax deductible and next week 
we will be having an Oscar-nominated producer named Diane Kwan. She was the producer of the documentary called Minding the, Minding the Gap. It won Sundance a few years back, did all the festival circuits, and then went to the Oscars. She is now back with a documentary which MTV just purchased for distribution called Finding Ying Ying. And so her director, Jenny Shi, will be on with us next week. And they have given us the doctor documentary to watch for two days only, and that's for free, but you have to sign up on our website at bravemaker.com slash buzz. So sign up today, go to the website, bravemaker.com slash buzz, and you get access to free movies like Finding Ying Ying. All right, well, that's all we got. Any final words before we take off? Christopher, anything else you want to share before we take off? Sorry about that. Yeah, just go out there and do it, folks. I mean, you have to, again, you know, you got you to gotta cre- to create, you got to create. It's just all there is to it. Mm-hmm. You got to create. Yes. Go yeah, go tweet him. Go find him on Twitter. Go ahead, Christina. What you got? I'm going to read, I'm gonna read the documentary quote. Unless someone like you care a whole awful lot, nothing is going to get better. It's not. I think we all have to take that to the heart nowadays. And those are my final words. Thank you, Dr. Seuss. All right, cool. We always like to end the show by saying brave stories change the world. And you are the story. Thanks for listening to the Brave Maker podcast. Subscribe. Give us a rating and share with a friend. BraveMaker is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Our work is funded by generous patrons like you. Support the podcast with a tax-deductible donation at bravemaker.com. Brave stories change the world. You are the story.